chapter sixteen of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain mr stevens makes a discovery well jewel old aunt tabitha is gone at last and i am not at all sorry for it i assure you she's been a complex tax upon me for the last eight years i suppose you won't lament much nor yet go into mourning for her continued mr stevens looking at her jocularly i'm not sorry that i admit rejoined mrs stevens the poor old soul is better off no doubt but then there's no necessity to speak of the matter in such an off-hand manner now jewel i beg you won't attempt to put on the sanctified that's too much from you who have been wishing her dead almost every day for the last eight years why don't you remember you wished her gone when she had a little money to leave and when she lost that you wished her off our hands because she had none don't pretend to be in the least depressed that won't do with me well never mind that said mrs stevens a little confused what has become of her things her clothing and furniture i've ordered the furniture to be sold and all there is of it will not realize sufficient to pay her funeral expenses brixton wrote me that she has left a bundle of letters directed to me and i desired him to send them on i wonder what they can be said mrs stevens some trash i suppose an early love correspondence of but little value to any one but herself i do not expect that they will prove of any consequence whatever don't you think one or the other of us should go to the funeral asked mrs stevens nonsense no i have no money to expend in that way it is as much as i can do to provide comfortably for the living without spending money to follow the dead replied he and besides i have a case coming on in the criminal court next week that will absorb all my attention what kind of a case is it she inquired a murder case some irishmen were engaged in a row when one of the party received a knock on his head that proved too much for him and died in consequence my client was one of the contending parties and has been suspected from some imprudent expressions of his to have been the man who struck the fatal blow his preliminary examination comes off to-morrow or next day and i must be present as a matter of course at an early hour of the morning succeeding this conversation mr stevens might have been seen in his dingy office seated at a rickety desk which was covered with various little bundles carefully tied with red tape the room was gloomy and cheerless and had a mouldy disagreeable atmosphere a fire burned in the coal stove which however seemed only to warm but did not dry the apartment and the windows were covered with a thin coating of vapour mr stevens was busily engaged in writing when hearing footsteps behind him he turned and saw mr egan a friend of his client entering the room good morning mr egan said he extending his hand how is our friend mccloskey this morning oh it's far down in the mouth he is be jabers the life uh, most scared out of him tell him to keep up a good heart and not to be frightened at trifles laughingly remarked mr stevens can't your honour come and see him asked egan i can't do that but i'll give you a note to constable barry and he will bring mccloskey in here as he takes him to court and mr stevens immediately wrote the note which egan received and departed after the lapse of a few hours mccloskey was brought by the accommodating constable to the office of mr stevens he'll be safe with you i suppose stevens said the constable but then there is no harm in seeing for oneself that all's secure and thus speaking he raised the window and looked into the yard below 
the height was too great for his prisoner to escape in that direction then satisfying himself that the other door only opened into a closet locking mr stevens and his client in the room mr stevens arose as soon as the door closed behind the constable and stuffed a piece of damp sponge into the keyhole he then returned and took a seat by his client now mccloskey said he in a low tone as he drew his chair closely in front of the prisoner and fixed his keen gray eyes on him i've seen whitaker and i tell you what it is you're in a very tight space he's prepared to swear that he saw you with a slung shot in your hand that he saw you drop it after the man fell he picked it up and whilst the man was lying dead at his tavern awaiting the coroner's inquest he examined the wound and saw in the skull two little dents or holes which were undoubtedly made by the little prongs that are on the leaden ball of the weapon as they correspond in depth and distance apart and moreover the ball is attached to a twisted brace which proves to be the fellow to the one found upon a pair of your trousers what can you say to all this mccloskey here gave a smothered groan and his usually red face grew deadly pale in contemplation of his danger now said mr stevens after waiting long enough for his revelation to have its due effect upon him there is but one thing to be done we must buy whitaker off have you got any money i don't mean fifty or a hundred dollars that would be of no more use than as many pennies we must have something of a lump three or four hundred at the very least the prisoner drew his breath very hard at this and remained silent come speak out continued mr stevens circumstances won't admit of our delaying this man's friends will raise heaven and earth to secure your conviction so you see my good fellow it's your money or your life you can decide between the two you know which is of the most importance to you god save us squire how am i to raise that much money i haven't more nor a hunter dollars in the world you've got a house and a good horse and dray replied mr stevens who was well posted in the man's pecuniary resources if you expect me to get you out of this scrape you must sell or mortgage your, your house and dispose of your horse and dray somehow or other four hundred dollars must be raised or you will be dangling at a rope's end in less than six months i suppose it will have to go then said mccloskey reluctantly then give me authority continued mr stevens to arrange for the disposal of the property and i will have your affairs all set straight in less than no time the constable here cut short any further colloquy by rapping impatiently on the door then opening it and exclaiming come now it is ten o'clock time that you were in court and the two started out followed by mr stevens after having by some of those mysterious plans with which lawyers are familiar been able to put off the examination for a few days mr stevens returned to his office and found lying upon his table the packet of letters he was expecting from new york upon breaking the seal and tearing off the outer covering he discovered a number of letters time-worn and yellow with age they were tied tightly together with a piece of cord cutting this they fell scattered over the desk taking one of them up he examined it attentively turning it from side to side to endeavour to decipher the half-effaced postmark what an any i am to waste time in looking at the cover of this when the contents will no doubt explain the whole matter thus soliloquizing he opened the letter and was soon deeply absorbed in its contents he perused and reperused it then opened one after another the remainder that lay scattered before him their contents seemed to agitate him exceedingly as he walked up and down the room with hasty strides muttering angrily to himself and occasionally returning to the desk to re-peruse the letters which had so strangely excited him whilst thus engaged the door was opened by no less personage than mr morton who walked in and seated himself in a familiar manner oh how are you morton you entered with such a ghostly tread that i scarcely heard you said mr stevens with a start what has procured me the honour of a visit from you this morning 
i was strolling by and thought i would just step in and inquire how that matter respecting the tenth street property has succeeded not at all the old fellow is as obstinate as a mule he won't sell except on his own terms which are entirely out of all reason i am afraid you will be compelled to abandon your building speculation in that quarter until his demise he is old and feeble and can't last many years in the event of his death you may be able to effect some more favourable arrangement with his heirs and perhaps have ten or fifteen years to wait no that won't do i'd better sell out myself what would you advise me to do stevens mr stevens was silent for a few moments then having opened the door and looked into the entry he closed it carefully placed the piece of sponge in the keyhole and returned to his seat at the desk saying we've transacted enough business together to know one another pretty well so i've no hesitation in confiding to you a little scheme i've conceived of for getting into our hands a large proportion of property in one of the lower districts at a very low figure and tis probable that the same plan if it answers will assist you materially in carrying out your designs it will require the aid of two or three moneyed men like yourself and if successful will without doubt be highly remunerative if successful rejoined mr morton yes there is the rub how are you to guarantee success hear my plan and then you can decide in the first place you know as well as i that a very strong feeling exists in the community against the abolitionists and very properly too this feeling requires to be guided into some proper current and i think we can give it that necessary guidance and at the same time render it subservient to our own purposes you are probably aware that a large amount of property in the lower part of the city is owned by niggers and if we can create a mob and direct it against them they will be glad to leave that quarter and remove further up into the city for security and protection once get the mob thoroughly aroused and have the leaders under our control and we may direct its energies against any parties we desire and we can render the district so unsafe that property will be greatly lessened in value the houses will rent poorly and many proprietors will be happy to sell at very reduced prices if you can furnish me the means to start with i have men enough at my command to effect the rest we will so control the elections in the district through these men as to place in office only such persons as will wink at the disturbances when through their agency we have brought property down sufficiently low we will purchase all that we can re-establish order and quiet and sell again at an immense advantage your scheme is a good one i must confess and i am ready to join you at any time i will communicate with carson who i think will be interested as he desired to invest with me in those tenth street improvements i will call in to-morrow and endeavour to persuade him to accompany me and then we can discuss the matter more fully well do but one word before you go you appear to know everybody who is anybody south of mason and dixon's line can you give me any information respecting a family by the name of gary who live or formerly did live in the vicinity of savannah oh yes i know them root and branch although there is but little of the latter left they are one of the oldest families in georgia those of whom i have heard the most are of the last two generations there now remain of the family but two persons old john or jack gary as he is called a bachelor and who i have recently learned is at the point of death and a crack-brained nephew of his living in this city said to be married to a nigger woman actually married to her dr blackley informed me last week that he sent for him to perform the ceremony which he very properly refused to do i have no doubt however that he has been successful in procuring the services of some one else i am sorry to say there are some clergymen in our city who would willingly assist in such a disgraceful proceeding whatever could have induced a man with his prospects to throw himself away in that manner i am at a loss to determine 
he has an independent fortune of about one hundred thousand dollars besides expectations from his uncle who is worth a considerable sum of money i suppose these little darkies of his will inherit it concluded mr morton are there no other heirs asked mr stevens in a tone of deep interest there may be he had an aunt who married an exceedingly low fellow from the north who treated her shamefully the mercenary scoundrel no doubt expected to have acquired a fortune with her as it was generally understood that she was sole heiress of her mother's property but it turned out to be an entire mistake the circumstance made considerable stir at the time i remember having heard my elders discuss it some years after its occurrence but why do you take such an interest in it you charge me with coming upon you like a ghost i could return the compliment why man you look like a sheep what ails you me i oh nothing nothing i'm perfectly well that is to say i was up rather late last night i'm rather fatigued to-day nothing more you look so strange that i could not help being frightened and you seem so interested you must have some personal motive for inquiring no more than a lawyer often has in the business of his clients i've been commissioned to obtain some information respecting these people a mere matter of business nothing more believe me call in again soon and endeavour to bring carson but pray be discreet be very careful to whom you mention the matter never fear said mr morton as he closed the door behind him and sauntered lazily out of the house mr morton speculated in stocks and town lots in the same spirit that he had formerly betted at the race-course and cockpit in his dear palmetto state it was a pleasant sort of excitement to him and without excitement of some kind he would have found it impossible to exist to have frequented gaming hells and race-courses in the north would have greatly impaired his social position and as he set a high value upon that he was compelled to forego his favourite pursuits and associate himself with a set of men who conducted a system of gambling operations upon change of a less questionable but equally exciting character mr stevens sat musing at his desk for some time after the departure of his visitor then taking up one of the letters that had so strongly excited him he read and re-read it then crushing it in his hand arose stamped his feet and exclaimed i'll have it if i here he stopped short and looking round caught a view of his face in the glass he sank back into the chair behind him horrified at the lividness of his countenance good god he soliloquized i look like a murderer already and he covered his face with his hands and turned away from the glass but i am wrong to be excited thus men who accomplish great things approach them coolly so must i i must plot watch and wait and thus speaking he put on his hat and left the office as mr stevens approached his house a handsome carriage drove up to the door of his neighbour and mr gary and his wife who had been enjoying a ride along the bank of the river alighted and entered their residence the rustle of her rich silk dress grated harshly on his ear and the soft perfume that wafted toward him as she glided by was the very reverse of pleasant to him mr gary bowed stiffly to him as they stood on the steps of their respective residences which were only divided by the low iron fence but beyond the slight inclination of the head took no further notice of him the cursed haughty brute muttered mr stevens as he jerked the bell with violence how i hate him i hated him before i knew but now i as he spoke the door was opened by a little servant that mrs stevens had recently obtained from a charity institution you have kept me standing a pretty time exclaimed he savagely as he seized her ear and gave it a spiteful twist can't you manage to open the door quicker i was up in the garret and didn't hear the bell she replied timidly then i'll improve your hearing he continued malignantly as he pulled her by the ear take that now and see if you'll keep me standing at the door an hour again striding forward into the back parlour he found his wife holding a small rattan elevated over little lizzie in a threatening attitude will you never mind me i've told you again and again not to go and still you persist in disobeying me 
i'll cut you to pieces if you don't mind will you ever go again she almost screamed in the ears of the terrified child oh no mother never please don't whip me i'll mind you and as she spoke she shrank as far as possible into the corner of the room what's all this what's the matter jewel what on earth are you going to whip liz for because she deserves it was the sharp reply she don't mind a word i say i forbid her again and again to go next door to visit those little niggers and she will do it in spite of me she slipped off this afternoon and has been in their house over an hour and it was only this morning i detected her kissing their clarence through the fence fah said mr stevens with a look of disgust you kissed a nigger i'm ashamed of you you nasty little thing your mother ought to have taken a scrubbing brush and cleaned your mouth never do such a thing again come here to me as he spoke he extended his hand and grasped a delicately rounded arm of his little girl what induces you to go amongst those people hasn't your mother again and again forbidden you to do so why do you go i say he continued shaking her roughly by the arm and frowning savagely why don't you answer speak the child with the tears streaming down her lovely face was only able to answer in her defence oh pa i do love them so you do do you replied her exasperated father stamping his foot and pushing her from him go to bed and if ever i hear of you going there again you shall be well whipped the tearful face lingered about the door in hope of a reprieve that did not come and then disappeared for the night the children must not be suffered to go in there jewel something i've learned to-day will here mr stevens checked himself in an answer to his wife's impatience what have you learned replied oh nothing of consequence nothing that will interest you and sat with his slipper in his hand engaged in deep thought now for mr stevens to commence a communication to his wife and then break off in the middle of it was as novel as disagreeable as he was generally very communicative and would detail to her in the evening with pleasing minuteness all the rogueries he had accomplished during the day and his unwillingness to confide something that evidently occupied his mind caused his spouse to be greatly irritated mr stevens drank his tea in silence and during the evening continued absorbed in reflection and notwithstanding the various ill-natured remarks of his wife upon his strange conduct retired without giving her the slightest clue to its cause End of chapter sixteen